1: And then there were four South Carolina, Iowa, LSU, Virginia Tech, the final four teams standing. They're all converging on Dallas. And so is Megan Gower of her Hoop Stats. I'm Rob Joyce. We're talking women's hoops here on CSN. Megan, first of all, how is Dallas? I know you haven't been there very long.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's good so far. I ha- unfortunately have a nice view of the office for my day job out the hotel window, but <laughs> tried to ignore that and enjoy a weekend of basketball. <laughs>
1: Games aren't until Friday. I know there's probably media stuff tomorrow. Sightseeing? You haven't. I mean, you, you just pop up in random places. Are you having lunch with Mark Cuban? Like, what, what's the what's the itinerary?
2: Um, maybe I'm I'm going to the Naismith press conference later today, so I've got that on the agenda. Um, other than that, not too much today. Keeping it low key. It was an early morning, so.
1: Bradley International Airport hits different at 5 a.m. <laughs> Megan, this is a safe space where you're amongst friends. You had a rough weekend. Your beloved Villanova Wildcats, L. Your beloved Yukon Huskies, L. Your nemesis, the LSU <laughs> Tigers, still standing. Do you need to talk about it? Like, do you need to lay down on the couch?
2: <laughs> I think I'm good. I think I've moved past it. But, yeah, a rough weekend for, for my teams.
1: <laughs> and a rough weekend for both of us because, when we are not alone here, we were wrong. Iowa. You did it. You made the final four against uh, a lot of, I'm not going to say against odds because you have the best player in the country, but the system that I, so, you know, I did a ton of research for this system on who can make the final four and Iowa broke it. And Caitlin Clark broke it. We'll start with the Hawkeyes because they put on a show in the elite eight against Louisville.
2: Yeah. Especially Caitlin Clark put on a show against, (laughs) against Louisville in first 40 point triple
1: double in NCAA
2: double A tournament history.
1: That's the first insane. point triple double. Yeah. <laughs> and then she added 10 more points to it. She was unreal. So was Iowa in general. She hit eight threes. The the Hawkeyes as a team hit 16 threes. And right out of the gate, it looked like they might be not in trouble because they can score so quickly, but it's eight-nothing. Louisville right out of the gates. Haley Van Lith looked possessed. Then they go into that triangle and two defense. Clark hits her first couple of shots. Everything settles down and Credit to the Hawkeyes. And again, we've you and I have been on this train for a couple of weeks. As great as Caitlin Clark is, and the Elite Eight was for even for her, spectacular. And even her her normal games for most people are spectacular. But it's everyone else for Iowa that's really stepped up in these last couple of games, in these last couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, I think that part is really important. Obviously. Kayla Clark deserves a ton of credit for her performance and what she does for this team. But I think even with a 40-point triple-double, if everyone else doesn't step up like they have, they're still not in the Final Four. And I think that's what's making this team so good right now is players like McKenna Warnock and Gabby Marshall that are just really stepping up for this team and taking it to the next level.
1: She makes these ridiculous passes and teams still, they double-team her, but it's a lot easier to put two, three bodies on Caitlin Clark when those people aren't making shots. How many of these threes from Warnock or Marshall or Martin or whoever are wide open shots? Just because if they're not wide open, that means you're one-on-one with Clark. And as she so aptly put during one of the multiple defenders, she put on skates. If you could read her lips, I think it was in the third quarter just said she can't guard me. (laughs) Well, yeah, Caitlin, very few people can. Uh, So Iowa, With a very impressive, they almost put up 100 on Louisville in four quarters. Jeff Wall said the Cardinals would need to score 80. Well, they did. Problem was they gave up 97. What do you make of Louisville as we put a bow on the Cardinals season? Disappointing in the regular season. Go on that run. Fall. Game short of the final four. Bring back their main pieces in Van Lith and Cochran. Lose a couple of others. So what do you make of Louisville as we look ahead to the offseason for the Cardinals?
2: Yeah I mean I think the end of this season for them was really good I don't they're not a team I would have put in the Elite Eight I don't think many people had them in their Elite Eight so a really solid postseason run as I mean Jeff Walls is is good at postseason runs we've seen that but um, I think that was a really good sign for them going forward like you said they're they're losing a lot of pieces but I think they've got a really good core with Haley Benleth and Olivia Cochran. And I think that was on, despite the loss, that was definitely on display versus Iowa. I mean, Benlith was fantastic in that game, even if they couldn't get the win. And Cochran also, I mean, she had 20 and 14 or something like that in that game. So two uh, kind of players that continue to be a bright future for Louisville.
1: They lose Mikasa Robinson, Chris Carr, Morgan Jones. I think you saw that they hit the transfer portal. I mean, everyone hits the transfer portal, but it took a while for it to gel. So I wonder as if this is not just a Louisville problem, as the portal evolves, as coaches evolve to adjusting to it, especially elite coaches who are just, they're used to getting high level McDonald's, all Americans, you have them for three or four years, you get to develop them. You build a program. It's a little harder to do now because you just throw in pieces and then expect them to fit right away. And that's not how it works. So I wonder how Louisville will adjust after it took a while this month or this year, to add in all those pieces, they figured it out late. I think they'll figure it out earlier next year in the ACC. Uh, Iowa win Seattle 4, any any thoughts from the Sweet 16? The Iowa-Colorado game was very similar to the Georgia game. Credit the Buffs, their first Sweet 16 in two decades. The Pac-12, I think, is going to be really fun next year. Interested to see who the Buffs bring back. Just Quay Miller and Jalen Sherrod. I think they have extra years. I don't know who's eligible and who's not. Frida Foreman, Erinette Vonley, they are back. So the Buffs could be in the mix in the Pac-12. Definitely.
2: I think the Pac-12 next year we will probably talk about a lot of teams as we go through this, but it should be a a very fun conference next year.
1: You ready to talk about LSU? Thank God, first of all. (laughs) I agreed with Kim Mulkey. She would have (laughs) turned off the game for some godforsaken reason. Most of us didn't. I'd never have to watch that game again. And... I will talk about it for the next couple of minutes and never reference it again, because boy, <laughs> that was ugly. Hey, you make the final four. At the end of the day, the banner says what the banner says flags fly right. forever. But that was, that's bad for both. teams. Yeah. Yeah. Just incredibly
2: ugly offense. I, but like we saw Miami play South Carolina last year, I think in the sweet 16, maybe it was, and it was incredibly ugly. And
1: this was an uglier version of that. I'm more interested, honestly, I'm in talking LSU Utah, a back and forth game. That kind of went as expected. I thought the rebounding was a little closer than I thought it would be. The Utes hit eight threes. Turned out they needed nine or ten. Those crushing free throw misses. I'm not gonna kill a sophomore Jenna Johnson for missing late free throws. Don't need to talk about it. But Utah or that Utah LSU game was really, really fun. And I think, given the way Miami, I think just kind of ran out of steam, that was almost almost the Elite Eight type game.
2: Yeah, I thought, I mean, both of the Sweet 16 games in this region were a lot of fun. Um, the Elite Eight, like we said, not so much. But yeah, that Miami, or not Miami, the LSU-Utah game really came down to the wire. And was, I feel bad for Jonah Johnson because that was brutal. Yeah. Miss free throws down the stretch there. But I think the big story there was, I mean, yeah, they got... What they usually get from Angel Reese and Alexis Morris for LSU, but LaDasia Williams was fantastic for LSU in that game and really is what won the game for them. I thought she had 24 points. Angel Reese was in foul trouble. She was able to play really good minutes when Reese had to be on the bench, and I thought that was a really standout performance in that game.
1: Really encouraging for LSU. Maybe some red flags, but encouraging that. Angel Reese, she wasn't good against Miami. She was 3 of 15. She was in foul trouble against Utah. But others stepped up. Ladesia Williams, you're right. She was great in the Utah game. Alexis Morris was really the only Tiger to do anything in the first half. And the fact that they got to a Final Four were Reese and Flauge Johnson, who's really struggling shooting. Neither of them were great, and they're still standing. I think that's a credit. On the Utah side, great run from Lynn Robertson company. But now I think next year will be a challenge because now they're in unfamiliar territory. You know, No one had any expectations for them this year. They made it in as a seven seed a year ago in the tournament, won a game this year. They make the sweet 16 as a two seed. The transfer portal exists. So who knows, but there are no seniors on this roster. In theory, everyone is back now that big step. It's one thing to get to the sweet 16. It's one thing to get inside the top 10. It's another to stay there when you're now the hunter or the hunted rather than the hunter.
2: Yeah, it's going to be definitely different for them next year and, it's, it's a unique position to be in, when it's now like you're on expectations. It makes it, I think a little bit, not necessarily harder, but like there's more pressure um, and the players have to get used to that. And that, that can take some time.
1: Two of the other teams who did not make it out of Greenville too. We'll start with Miami. They're going to lose Haley Cavender. Probably. I think they have extra year of eligibility. Uh, Lola Pendande might as well. Destiny Harden is definitely gone. Similar. Getting to the Elite Eight is great. It's something worth celebrating. It's a big accomplishment. Staying there is the next challenge. Competing for an ACC championship that they've done once in 30 years. So hopefully the Hurricanes can take this and make it something that just isn't a fluke.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think they shot a lot of people in March, myself included. I would not have picked them to, to go on that kind of run to an Elite Eight. But yeah, the next step is to build on that and set through the transfer portal this year or whatever it is, but time to make that into being a consistent team that's, you know, going to the second weekend in the tournament
1: contending in the ACC. And then lastly, out of Greenville to a team that will need to figure out how to get back there because best player in program history is gone. Villanova didn't show up in the first half, didn't show up in the first minute of the second half, and it proved to be a little bit too much despite that 21-2 to run. But Maddie Segrist made it official. She's off to the WNBA. Let you take the stand for your, your Maddie Segrist depreciation special.
2: Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm a little sad to see her go, but it, it's probably the right decision. But it was a lot of fun to watch her at Nova. I think not only I think people and a lot of credit to what she's done for Villanova as a whole, but I also think for the Big East because you kind of her like run Nova is a big part of why it's become it's not just UConn and everyone else and turned Nova into another top 10 program this year. And I think that's it's a really big step forward for the Big East to have not just be UConn everyone and then to have, you know, Creighton last year go on that run and then the top 10 program and Nova make it to the second weekend this year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that's Greenville, too, by the way. We kind of glossed over Iowa. We glossed over LSU. We will talk about all of the final four teams in a little while. We have lots of time for that. We have days to talk about that. (laughs) Uh, So we'll give some of these Sweet 16 Elite Eight teams uh, a little love or maybe be a little critical as we move to Seattle 3. The Virginia Tech Hokies are off to their first final four. And frankly, after the way that they looked when Tennessee put that press on them in the second half against, against the Lady Vols, I was concerned about how they'd handle the Ohio State Press. It turns out Georgia Amore in particular, really, really, really good.
2: Yeah, she has been fantastic through the whole postseason, ACC tournament included, and really the end of the regular season for Virginia Tech as well. I think kind of the way that she's been playing is really why Virginia Tech is in this position, why they're on the run that they're on in general. I think it's what 15 straight wins now. And Her, like, stepping up from the three-point line and just really taking over for this team to be very consistent option next to Kitley has changed the way this team has performed.
1: Playing at an All-American level, even though she technically isn't one, but she's finding that level. She's not, she's still not the most efficient scorer. Mm-hmm. When the team really needs a bucket or that moment that's a little bit bigger than other possessions, she's becoming very trustworthy to make the shot when the Hokies really need it. And also the ball handling. It's not really in the box score unless you turn it over. But when she went out with that injury in in the first half, if you remember one possession, Ohio State went right back to that press and they turned it over. And you're thinking, oh, this could be a long rest of the first half. If Amor doesn't come back, this could be a long rest of the night for the Hokies. Instead, she comes back in and that full court press that was so devastating in the Sweet 16. They had to back off, which is wild.
2: Yeah, she was just able to handle that without any problems, get the ball up the floor. And then Ohio State was seeing that turn into way too many easy baskets for Liz Kitley. Easy looks for, for Virginia Tech from three and had to call off that press to to make
1: sure they could get back on defense. Elizabeth Kitley, She's so quietly, very, very good. In the second half, she had 12 and seven after halftime. Amore stole a lot of the headlines just because of what she was able to do, especially that injury. It looked bad. And then she came back within two minutes and looked at Kenny Brooks and was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And turns out she was, but Kaylee, I think, I think she's still underappreciated even though she's the leader of a team that's now in the final four.
2: Yeah. And I think quietly is a good way to put it because she had 25 points in that game and it doesn't necessarily feel like you're watching like a 25 and 10 type performance while you're watching it. Um, But she is, like you said, very, very good and has been so consistent for this team alongside anymore. That's you know the two of them are carrying this team to where they are right now
1: kudos to ohio state first elite eight since 1993 cody mcmahon she's gonna be a problem the next three oh, yeah. years jc <laughs> sheldon can come back can taylor Mike sell come back
2: i think so I've,
1: i forget i'd have to look it's impossible to know who's coming back but either yeah. way ohio state the big 10 in general has grown so much in the last few years in ohio state you expect them to be right there in the thick of it
2: yeah, definitely. I think the program that was really able to make a good postseason run this year, and then like you said, Cody McMahon was fantastic in this tournament. I think, I forget the exact numbers, but I'm pretty sure she's the like first freshman since like Stewie and Paige to average like 18 points, 5 rebounds, and a 3 in the tournament. Um, I'm forgetting the exact numbers, but it's something like that. Um, so just a really, really strong tournament performance for her. And um, she, she was a problem against UConn. She was a problem against Virginia Tech. And I'm really excited to see what she does next year.
1: Taylor, Mike, so played two years at Maryland. So one, two, one at Oregon, three, four. She played five years, but I don't know if she has a COVID year. I don't know if last year was the COVID year. It Either way. Probably is, yeah. It's probably is, five. yeah. Yes. So they will probably lose Taylor Mike, who was good in the elite eight, she went on, she went bonkers in the first half, but still the Buckeyes aren't going to go anywhere. Which blue blood do you want to talk about who fell on the sweet 16? Want to go Lady Balls, want to go Huskies?
2: We can start with UConn because we're talking about Ohio State, anyway.
1: <laughs> first of all, do you know how hard it is to turn it over 18 times in 18 minutes? Yeah.
2: It was, it was ugly. It was, they just like, it looked like they had never seen a press before. Weren't expecting it at all, which is kind of baffling considering all anyone was talking about going into that game was Ohio State's press and how is UConn going to handle it. Um, But yeah, they didn't handle it at all in the first half.
1: We don't need to break down the game. I want to kind of take a larger overview because there's been a lot of people burying UConn as a program. And there's two ways to kind of go about it. They're right in that you're never going to see 14 straight Final Fours again. No team is ever going to go 30 years without losing back-to-back games ever again. No team is going to win 111 games in a row. Probably not going to win four straight national titles. However many straight weeks in the top five that that ended last year. None of that is ever going to happen again. And that's a credit to everyone else in the country who has put their resources into women's basketball cared about women's basketball and the talent pool from the AAU high school levels up have grown in that same light. This is not the end of UConn women's basketball. How many programs consider a sweet 16 bid a good season, heck a great season. And they've done it 29 years in a row. They might be the title favorites next year. Assuming let's put everyone in bubble wrap until November. And they're going to be one of the top two teams with everyone coming back. So let's just you're allowed to if you want to dance on the 2022 23 Huskies graves great settle down Connecticut fans settle down the program is fine
2: yeah <laughs> there's been a lot of drama about that this week and it's it's just kind of funny to read cuz it's it's ridiculous right like yes like streaks have ended this season and I think that is in a way like symbolic of the shift in general in women's basketball and having UConn's streaks end I think makes it more apparent because it's kind of the the national program that everyone looks at as like you know women's basketball but yeah they're fine they're gonna be like you said probably a preseason number one preseason number two next season if Paige Beckers is healthy they're go out, probably going to go back to a Final Four, maybe win a national championship. The program itself is very much still one of the top programs in the country, and uh, that's probably not changing
1: anytime soon. Paige Beckers will be 14. She tort in August, right? So 14 months mm-hmm. removed from ACL surgery. AZ Fudd probably won't pick up a basketball for a couple of months as she gets healthy with whatever. You know, however, what percentage of health she was when she came back. Ali Edwards is back. Nika Mule is back. Highly touted freshman class, but Ice Brady, we never saw her, and she's supposed to have been kind of the the second option in terms of just a classic down low post player to Ali Edwards. UConn is fine. <laughs> Everyone settle down. Meanwhile, Tennessee, another team that fans just love to be calm and rational about. Second straight trip to the sweet 16 still haven't been to the elite eight since sometime in the mid 2015 2016 something like that rickia jackson coming back jordan horston isn't she announced that on tuesday again the lady vols they're continuing to get back up they're not going to be what they were they will continue their rise up amongst the national leaders
2: yeah i think i mean They fell short of expectations, I think, coming into the season this year, but I still think it was generally a good season for them. You make the second weekend, you turn things around towards the end of the season. They played a really tough schedule, so, like, the overall record, I don't don't think that says that much about this team in terms of they were just figuring things out early on. And then, like you said, they've got Rikia Jackson coming back, Tamari Key is supposed to play next year, so that's a huge piece for them. They're going to – I mean – they might not make the Elite Eight next year. I don't know. But like, they're on the track where they're like, that is the goal. They will probably get back to a Final Four at some point. It's never going to be what it was under Pet Summit, but that doesn't mean that like they're not. It's still a really good program and they're definitely climbing their way back.
1: The list is growing, but there still aren't many programs where the Sweet 16 is a failure of a season. Yeah. Tennessee, for a couple of years, yeah, th- Sweet 16 seemed like a stretch but now they're back to that that level where they expect to get to the second weekend I know fans still expect them to get to the final four and compete for national titles it's a process as Pat Summit once said it's one thing to make the climb it's another to stay there so now they're making that climb back up so Virginia Tech wins Seattle three what we haven't talked about oh the number one team in the country yeah <laughs> uh South Carolina Wins Greenville won? What were your thoughts on the Elite Eight? Because I thought Maryland had a great game plan. They just ran out of steam. And if you want to talk about officiating, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I thought the first quarter, Maryland hung around with them pretty well. They were up at then the first quarter. And then the second quarter, the foul trouble kind of took over. But I, I do think the officiating was bad. I thought the last two fouls on Myers especially were horrible calls I don't think the officiating changed the outcome of this game like I think regardless of those calls made South Carolina probably wins it um so I don't want to harp on it too much because I think it just takes away from like what South Carolina did to to focus on only that but yeah I mean I think Maryland they had a good game plan that the foul trouble was too much to overcome especially the second quarter decided the game they stayed pretty even with them in the third and fourth, but South Carolina went on that run in the second quarter. And I mean, it was Maryland's foul trouble. It was also South Carolina hitting shots. Zaya Cook went off in that quarter. Aaliyah Boston had a fantastic game. I think this was a good reminder of like how good Aaliyah Boston is because I think she maybe hasn't gotten as much credit this season because her numbers are down, but the kind of classic 22 and 10 type game that she had in this one to get them to, to the final four. So um, it was just, you know, South Carolina does what South Carolina does and got off the ground on the glass, made some threes. So that helped, but I'm not shocked, obviously that they were able to figure out a way to beat Maryland.
1: It's amazing to look at certain teams of Iowa. Now when Iowa made 16 threes, that's eye opening. but when Iowa makes nine, 10, 11 threes, it's yeah, whatever, that's what they do. When mm-hmm. South Carolina makes like six or seven threes, God, it feels just so deflating for the other team. It feels like the life just gets like sucked out like an energy vampire from the bench.
2: Yeah, because it's I think it's two things. It's one that you're like giving up those threes in a way, like wanting them to shoot those, because they don't shoot them great. So when the defensive game plan doesn't work like on that, it's it's really hard to guard them because if you can't if you have to also guard the perimeter, it's it's really impossible to keep them off the glass um and I think there's also just something about like the timing it when they hit threes it always feels like it's like oh the team goes on like the opponent will go on a little bit of a run and then someone comes down and knocks down a three and it's just like takes all the air out of whatever their opponent is doing
1: my last thought on this game as a whole just to touch on the officiating you don't want it to happen in an elite eight game but officials just like players have bad games Mm -hmm. I just I'm tired of South Carolina is not paying officials. The NCAA is not telling officials, hey, we need the Gamecocks in the Final Four because they'll play Iowa. Like, all the conspiracy theory crap. If you want to complain about officiating, like, by all means. I think officiating in, in college basketball, not just the women's game, needs a complete overhaul in a lot of ways. That's not one of them. So just tough, tough night of the Terps when you need to play a perfect game against the top team in the country. You need everything to go your way that didn't go your way. I don't want to say sorry because that sounds mean, but it that, that is what yeah. it is. Like You can't change it. However, remarkable season from the Terps, all things considered. Yeah. With all the newcomers, as soon as that portal see it reads Angel Reese and Ashley Owusu, you think, okay, this is going to be a problem for Maryland. Very few expectations. They were preseason top 20, but this is a team that lives generally in the top 10. For Maryland, this is something. This is quite a year.
2: Yeah, I think they're a team that I didn't think would be that good going into the season just because it was a lot of new pieces and new pieces that maybe weren't necessarily at the same caliber as some of the pieces that they lost. But I think they they proved a lot of people wrong with that. You know, two seed make it to the Elite Eight. Probably if they they got any other draw, they might have threatened a Final Four run, so... I think it was a really, really impressive season from them and be interesting to see kind of what they do next year. A lot has, of those pieces are
1: leaping, but has Diamond Miller said she's going? Because she technically could use her fifth year.
2: Yeah, I don't think she has yet. I want to say she was not on the the list that the W sent yesterday, but I think they have 48 hours after their last game. So it was just not quite in that window yet.
1: Yes, because there are a couple of the names we're waiting on. Yeah, the deadline for everyone except for teams still alive, and that includes the WNIT, had to be in by what Tuesday the twenty eighth. So last night, mm-hmm. that those exceptions are teams in the final four. If you lost Monday, you have until today. So we we're waiting on Diamond Miller. If she came back, that'd be that'd be something for for Maryland. What are your thoughts overall? We can talk more about this next week because we'll know who is and isn't coming back. But I'm sure you saw the tweet of someone asking Aaliyah Boston, is this your last game in South Carolina? And she just kind of gave a wink and a smile. All of these players, which I think is speaks poorly on, on the W, all these players might take advantage of this extra COVID year. What are your thoughts on it overall?
2: Yeah, I think it's a few things. I think it speaks to like the impact of the NIL on the women's game and the fact that there's so many opportunities um, for players that are at like the higher level in the college game to to capitalize on that and be able to stay. um, Yeah, it, it, it's interesting just kind of see the choices that players make. I think it'll be really interesting to see what Aliyah Boston does. Um, I think it's particularly interesting to see it this year because I think you're seeing a lot of people choose to stay and there's a really stacked draft class, assuming people didn't use their extra year, next year. I mean, Caitlin Clark, Paige Becker. I mean, people might use their fifth year. So it might not shake out that way. But I think you're seeing players that would probably be guaranteed first round picks if they left this year, that are now putting them in a situation where they might be a second round pick. And I think that part is is very interesting.
1: I'm not going to to credit the NCA cuz they've fought this tooth and nail for forever and lost in court and they're in Congress right now talking about it and it appears to be going poorly but the women's game is onto something here you get free education you get NIL money you get chartered flights if you're at good schools and then mm-hmm. you go to the W where you don't make you make fine like you make average Joe money you're flying commercially There's only 12 teams and what, however many roster spots? Like, there aren't many roster spots. WNBA, I think, might eyes might open this year and next as to who, you know, Philly Boston stays next year or Diamond Miller or next year, Paige Beckers, Caitlin Clark, any of these big names, Cameron Brink, any of these folks stay. Think that might accelerate things in the W, but this isn't a WNBA podcast. South Carolina beats Maryland, uh, Sweet 16, they grind UCLA into the ground. Charisma Osborne her career comes to an end I think the future is still bright in Westwood but just take a moment Charisma Osborne had a really nice career
2: yeah I think she finished 5th in like all-time scoring at UCLA I think she's been the backbone of this team since Michaela Anidawai left um back in what was that I think 2020 was her last season so it's been a, a really good run for her and I think this UCLA team has had a lot of ups and downs in terms of injuries and different things that like, they didn't make the tournament last year. They really struggled in that the COVID season, but they were able to do, you know, get back to the second weekend this year. And um Chris Osborne is a huge part of that. And then, you know, this freshman class, I think is going to do a lot for them going forward, but I, I think she had a great career at UCLA.
1: Pac-12 is going to be so interesting. All those freshmen for the Bruins are only going to get better. You mentioned Utah. Probably brings back everyone. Stanford has taken that half step back where suddenly they look beatable. USC has Juju Watkins coming in, the number one or number two recruit, depending on your ranking of choice. Arizona just had a mass exodus in the portal, but they have, I think, the number two or three recruiting class coming in. I expect Oregon to bounce back if India Rogers returns, another player who has until today to announce whether she is, because the Ducks, I think she had till last night technically, but um, hasn't gone public since the Ducks' WNIT exit. So the Pac-12 next year, I think it's going to be real. And didn't even mention Washington State. Mm-hmm. So the Pac-12 should be really fun next year. Um, last thought from C- or from Greenville 1, Notre Dame, I think the Sweet 16 game kind of went as expected. They hung around for a half, and then everything caught up to them. Second half wasn't competitive. Uh, big A big what-if this year, I think, for the Irish.
2: Yeah, I think this is a team that was – had potential to be really, really good, make a deep run. If they had Darren Mabry, if they had Olivia Miles, obviously they didn't have either of those pieces going into this tournament, but I think to make the Sweet 16 regardless of that was extremely impressive. Um, They won't get Darren Mabry back. She's, she's done, but, I mean, I think it'll be fun to see what they do next year if they have a healthy Olivia Miles and return some of their other pieces. And I think, I mean, Miles has been fantastic when she has been on the floor for them. And I <laughs> think... Notre Dame was very close to you know, being back under Neil Ivy after the Muffet has retired. They're going to make their way back into second weekend's top teams very quickly.
1: Yeah, Mabry, she was already a graduate student. She got injured in late, mid late January. That's probably NCAA hands out waivers like candy nowadays. I think that's too late in the year for her to get that extra hardship waiver. So, uh, Olivia miles certainly coming back in Notre Dame will be in the preseason top 10 next year. So that's your regional weekend recap. Let's talk final four. Do you know what the, do you know what the big game is this weekend? Have you heard anyone talk about it?
0: <laughs> I don't know. Maybe
2: it might have something to do with Caleb Clark
1: <laughs> and Aliyah Boston. So South Carolina, Iowa, we'll, we'll start with the big one. Yeah. It's the late game. The, I believe the most watched women's game ever ever at maybe just the final four game. UConn Notre Dame got like 3 million about a decade ago. Stewie's freshman year. Did that ends Skylar Diggins' career. doesn't matter. Anyways, that record's going to get shattered, I think, mm-hmm. Friday night. Yeah. Fascinated by it. Hawkeyes at the peak of their powers offensively. Gamecocks at the peak of their powers defensively. What's your initial thought on this game?
2: My initial thought is like it's still South Carolina's to lose. Uh, I think if South Carolina does what South Carolina does, they probably win this game. I think in particular, their ability to just dominate in the post and on the glass um, is probably enough to to get the win here. But I'm interested to see how they guard Clark and also the the pieces on the perimeter around her. I think you know you've got Bria Beal, who's a really great on-ball defender. You don't see many teams try to guard Clark one-on-one. Will they try to do that and shut down those other pieces on the perimeter? Cause you've got another really good perimeter defender inside cook. Um, or, or do they put two on Clark and kind of give up that, that threat on the perimeter? So it'll be really interesting to see kind of how they approach that. But I still think like South Carolina plays their game and does what they do. They probably won this game.
1: Old Mrs. Coach, coach Yo tweeted it best. I'm trying to find it. She tweets a lot that's more than <laughs> I thought for, but Hey, she's hitting that portal. I I get it. She basically paraphrasing here said South Carolina will beat itself. And that's how you lose. If South Carolina plays a B plus to a game, no one's beating them. So you have to get a little bit of luck that maybe Zaya cook has one of her games where she's four of 16, maybe they get a couple of calls and someone's in foul trouble maybe they missed they missed like 11 layups in the first half on on monday maybe they miss four or more in the second half because i think the turps gave a really really good blueprint they got to the line a bunch in the first half didn't do it after halftime they shot 50% and they shot 50% from 3 like that's a great blueprint just a matter of doing it for 40 minutes iowa can i think mm-hmm. If they can just yeah. extend upon that blueprint, even even if they do it for three quarters, and they they have the offense to hang around.
2: Yeah, they definitely have the offense to hang around. I think that's that's important. I think if Iowa can can get shots that they like and knock down shots, they're definitely gonna they're not gonna go away. Um, but I think South Carolina is also gonna be able to get what it wants in the post. So I think it's gonna be a little bit of probably trading baskets. Um if Iowa gets their shots, South Carolina is also gonna get theirs. Um, And then the I think South Carolina is going to get what they want on the offensive glass as well. I think that's the other big piece. If Iowa can find a way to do better on the glass, I think that's going to help them. But I, I don't really expect that to happen.
1: The big thing for Lisa Bluter, I think Maryland had some success putting all that pressure on the ball handlers. There was a point in the second quarter where Kira Fletcher and Raven Johnson were on the floor at the same time, which I don't think has happened often this year for South Carolina. And that just neither of them is a big score. Marie was on the floor. Victoria Saxon was on the floor. That's not a lot of offense, but they had to go out there. And that's what Don Staley had to do because Maryland was just putting so much pressure on. Can Iowa do that? But then at the same time, if you go a little smaller, like I think Hannah Stolke is a key to this game because she's been fairly quiet this tournament, but I think she needs to come in and hold her own on the glass, but put, just be physical. Things that aren't going to show up in the box score. She doesn't have to score a million points, but I think she's big. But then if she's on the floor, can you put that same guard pressure on? So I, I think it's just a fascinating week for the Hawkeyes.
2: Yeah, definitely. It should be interesting to see if they can kind of get her going a little bit in terms of on the defensive end to, to make up some of that size difference, especially if South Carolina is putting Aaliyah Boston and Camila Curtis so out there together. That's really hard to guard, and Sonato definitely can't handle that by herself, so it'll be interesting to see kind of what looks Iowa throws at that.
1: I try to play a game where Iowa scored 97 points on Monday. So if you kind of just do some math, how many points they would need to beat South Carolina. They hit 16 threes. Gamecocks, they're not going to hit 16 threes. South Carolina, they've allowed more than six in a game once all year. Arkansas hit 10. A bunch of them came in blow blowout in the SEC tournament. So say they hit, we will say we'll be generous. Say they hit a dozen threes. Well, that 97 points just became 85. If like they had 18 fast break points, South Carolina averages less than six a game. So we'll, we'll we'll say 10. Well now that 85 just became 78. They made 20 free throws. Only one team has attempted that many against South Carolina all year. If you make 10, great, that that 78 just became close to 70. So if you do exactly the same thing for Monday, just against a much better defense, like it's going it's just it's really, really hard. <laughs> Any other thoughts yeah. on uh? No, I think talked a lot. How, does, thought. how does Iowa beat South Carolina? How does South Carolina beat Iowa? I think just things to look out for for Gamecock fans. Another slow start. You can erase 10, 12 point deficits against most teams against Iowa. You're just putting a lot of pressure on yourself. So I think I think a, a fast start is needed for South Carolina. And then again, okay, just play your game. Don't miss a bunch of layups. Make Make those back breaking threes. You don't have to make a billion. Make like five or six. And I think I think South Carolina moves on. Okay. So that's the late game. The early game has less star power, but still a couple of intriguing matchups with LSU and Virginia Tech. You have Angel Reese and Elizabeth Kitley, Georgia Amore, Alexis Morris. I'm here for both of them, even if Reese and Kitley are like polar opposite <laughs> personalities, very similar production. What are your initial thoughts on this one?
2: I think this one is probably going to come down to not necessarily those two matchups, but what both teams get from everyone else. I think that's the key here. I think not that they are fully going to cancel out, but Kitley and Reese kind of in a way cancel out. Amor and Morris probably in a way cancel out. So who gets more from everyone else? Um, I think we saw, we talked about LaDasia Williams doing a ton for LSU versus Utah I think they need to get try to get Flauja Johnson going. Um, and then for Virginia Tech, um, I mean, against Ohio State, they got a great contribution, I thought, from Kayla King. She knocked down quite a few threes, so something like that would help them. Taylor Saul had a really good game against Ohio State. Um, I think that's what it's going to come down to, though, who gets more from everyone else.
1: From the LSU side, I agree the Flauja Johnson one in particular. She's 7 of 32 this tournament. She's two of 15, three-point shooting. Yeah, that can't happen. She needs, they need more from her. They need more from Qatari Pool. If they make one three on Friday, like they did against Miami, they lose probably by double digits. They don't need to hit the 11 they hit against Georgia in the SEC quarters. But since January 30th, if you take away that one game against Georgia in the SEC tournament, they're shooting 26% from deep. Again, they don't need to hit a billion of them. But if you hit seven, that's pretty, that gives you a good chance. Um, you know LSU hasn't scored 70 since the Hawaii game. Oh wow! Well. Like they probably need to score 70, yeah. to win. Now from the Virginia Tech side, keep doing what they've been doing from three. But they need to stay out of foul trouble. Someone tweeted, might have been M. A. Vopel, someone from ESPN. Vopel might have tweeted it. Do you know how many minutes everyone not named Deasia Greg from the Virginia Tech bench played last weekend? So the five starters plus the Asia Greg, what did everyone else play? Not 80 much. minutes of Maybe, basketball,
2: probably like five minutes. They don't play much more than 60.
1: One <laughs> against a physical team like LSU. Angel Reese is going to go right out. Elizabeth Kittle. If She picks up two personals. She'll probably stay in the game. That's going to be a problem. If she picks up three, four fouls, what does Kenny Brooks do? So Virginia, so I think. Fascinating LSU is a little more bang them down low. Virginia Tech makes more threes. I, I, I'm fascinated. Most people, obviously everyone's talking about South Carolina, Iowa. I'm really, really fascinated by this difference in styles.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being the better game of the, the two. I know it's not necessarily the headliner and the names, but I I do think this game the matchups have a lot of potential to make it really interesting kind of game that goes down. To the wire, not that South Carolina and Iowa can't be that type of game, but I also wouldn't be surprised to see kind of South Carolina up enough at the end that it's, it's not going down to the last seconds. Um, So I do think that this one has a lot of potential, despite not being the the one that
1: everyone's talking about necessarily. That's the first game seven o'clock on Friday. So that leaves us four national title possibilities. Which one do you want to talk about? First, you know, so I'll, I'll, I'll answer South Carolina, Virginia Tech. That I think I don't know what the betting lines are. I assume South Carolina is a favorite because they're South Carolina. I assume Virginia Tech's probably a slight favorite. We need to get Daniel Mataya in here. Um, <laughs> but I think this would be the betting matchup. So, what would be your thoughts if the Gamecocks met the Hokies?
2: I think that's an interesting matchup. I mean, I this is South Carolina's tournament to lose, right? I think that's. Right. Yeah, that's the starting point. Like, I think if South Carolina goes out and does what they should do against any team in this group of four that's left, they're, they're going to win the title. Um, but I do think that the edge that Virginia Tech has is in their three-point shooting. And if they can get a lot of contributions from the perimeter, I think that helps make up um some of the difference in what South Carolina's – doing um on the inside especially because if you're trading threes for twos that that's that helps you out in making up some of that difference so I think that would be a fun matchup I mean Kitley versus Boston would obviously be fun I think obviously Boston is, has the advantage in that matchup but that would be fun to watch and then you've got um Amor on the perimeter up against Zia Cook or, or Rubio so that should be a lot of fun to watch as well um I think South Carolina's Biggest advantage in that one though is their depth. Like Virginia Tech, like we just said, plays six deep. South Carolina plays much more than six deep and gets a lot more um, from their their longer rotation.
1: Yeah, if the Hokies need to stay out of foul trouble against LSU. That that's tenfold against South Carolina for sure. South Carolina, LSU. We saw this once. The Gamecocks were up eighteen to two. That was that. That was that Colonial Life, right? Yeah, they were up eighteen to two. LSU. They made it interesting. They cut, cut it to one. Did they take them quickly? And I think they cut it to like one possession. And then in the second half, same South Carolina story that's been written 40 straight times now. They just wear teams down. Honestly, I think this is the least enticing of the national title possibilities. I know it's Kim Mulkey versus Don Staley, but I think you know, we, we only saw it once, but I don't see why the second time would be a whole lot different. Probably won't start 18 to two, but I think the outcome's the same.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that LSU will probably show up better for that game than they did the one at South Carolina. That was really the first big game they played this season. and You could tell it was the first big game they played this season. Um, They've obviously played a handful of big games since then, so they're going to be more ready for it, but I think – a lot of things we just talked about with LSU that have been problematic. They're they're not scoring seventy. They're you know, not getting a lot outside of Reese and um Alexis Morris, all those things would really, I think,
1: be troublesome against South Carolina. What about Iowa LSU? If Iowa topples South Carolina, it's a very similar game plan, but might be well, would be easier to beat the Tigers, but an Iowa LSU matchup could get interesting as well.
2: Yeah, I think the way you talk about, it, like you said, is it's very similar matchup to Iowa South Carolina, but I think instead of it being it favor South Carolina, it probably favors Iowa. I just think that they can probably just score more than than LSU. Um, even though, like, I think Angel Reese will be able to get her way in that game. I still think Iowa's three point shooting and their ability to just really outscore LSU would probably make them the favorite in that that matchup. Um, I think that's a situation where LSU is really going to need like J. Johnson to hit some threes or Alexis Morris to really go off to to have a chance to beat Iowa.
1: For LSU to win a national title, they'll need everyone. Angel Reese can't go 3 of 15. She's Mm -hmm. been great all year. It's not critical of Angel Reese. You're allowed to have a bad game unless you're trying to win National Player of the Year, apparently. Then you (laughs) can't. But obviously can't go 3 of 15, even though she still had a double-double. Flaugé Johnson can't go to a 15 from three, you know, it all kind of goes without saying you're in the final four. Right. Lastly, Iowa and Virginia tech. This will be a fun matchup. There'd be a lot of points in this one.
2: Yeah. I that's going to be, if we get that, it'll be like a 85, 80, like who's first to 90 type matchup yeah. probably is who wins it. Um, Yeah. That could be interesting. I think you'll see, I mean, We've talked a lot about what Iowa does offensively, but I think you would see Kitley really be able to get hers, Amor really able to get hers in that matchup too. So I feel like it's kind of, um, would be just a lot of scoring. It would be like the first half of that um, Virginia Tech-Ohio State game, I feel like, where everyone just kept hitting baskets and it was like you thought they were going to go to 100 at the rate they were playing.
1: What is the official Megan Gower prediction for the Final Four this weekend?
2: I think we're going to see South Carolina and Virginia Tech in the championship, and
1: then uh, South Carolina win it all. I agree. I think next week we'll talk where does this Gamecock team rank all time because that's how good they are. If you cut down the nets, the conversation happens. If it doesn't, South Carolina is still probably one of the better teams that we've seen ever. You need the championship to be the cap on it. Megan, you're going to be in Dallas, so you're going to miss the broadcasts. Um, All due respect to Ryan Rucco and Rebecca Lobo, Holly Ronco. They do a great job. I'm going to be watching Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi get drunk on national TV. (laughs) And they get to do it on Sunday, too. Very excited.
2: Yeah, I did go back and watch some of those last year after the fact because I was like, I just want to watch. Like, I'm sure it would be entertaining to watch back with it. And I probably will do record them and
1: do the same this year. The best thing last year was when she, Tarazi handed Kelsey Plum a cup and just said, just drink it. And then Plum <laughs> took it. And then after a second, was like, oh, Jesus, what did you just hand me? And she's on TV, so she can't just she react. It's It's all it's phenomenal television. Highly yes. recommend it. <laughs> My last, my only other complaint, thank God the game's on ABC. The next step, just put it in primetime. Like, everything with the women's game is so freaking hard. Like, it took forever to get the games. This is only the third year you could watch every game in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took forever Remindless. to get a game on ABC. It's only been a couple of years they've been putting any games on ABC. They moved it to Friday, Sunday, which I liked. But it's just like just every step of the way. It's just it's hard and hard and hard. Like I'm I'm over it. Like what's what's Sunday night? Is there yeah. like what what's going on Sunday night at seven o'clock? Nothing. Eight o'clock. <laughs> it's
2: so silly. The other thing that bothered me last weekend is I went to go watch UConn at ABC and I was like, I wonder why South Carolina's game the summer right before this isn't on ABC and it's the XFL The XFL. XFL. On. <laughs> Who cares? No one cares about the XFL. There was no one in the stands at that game.
0: <laughs> like
1: and it got a million less viewers than the South Carolina game, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It's record viewership. It's record attendance. Greenville we expected, but quick shout-out. I knew Greenville would be packed because South Carolina's 90 minutes from campus. Seattle! Yeah. Seattle really Seattle showed out, and no one was within a 1,000 miles.
2: Yeah, and I think they said Seattle's attendance actually beat the Greenville attendance, which is crazy when you think
1: about it. That might just um, be a, a, capacity a capacity thing. capacity thing, true, true. Climate Pledge has... 18-3. Yeah, Bonsacore, Wendless Arena, no chance they have 18,000 okay. people at that st- uh, that arena. Yeah, they have 16. So, okay, yep. that's a lot closer than I thought it would be. So, kudos. It- it's amazing. You give the women's game an outlet and you stop treating them like second-class citizens and people watch. And people, People watch guess. on TV. People watch in person. <laughs> like, this isn't yeah. hard. Yeah. This is, it isn't hard. Yeah. Regardless, the times are what they are. I'm not a late-night person, but I'm burning the midnight oil again on Friday. Megan, enjoy Dallas. We'll talk next week, and we'll have a champion.